Welcome to the Life Optimized Show, where every week you'll hear fascinating and introspective conversations with inspiring thought leaders from all around the world to help you optimize your business, leadership, and life. Now, here's your host, Dev Singh, international executive, business, and leadership coach, and self-professed philosopher and examiner of what makes the most optimized people in the world tick. Hi everyone, the guest today on the show, I'm really excited and honored to have Dr. Brett Hill. A lot of people know who Dr. Brett Hill is, especially if you're listening to this show, chances are you're familiar with the podcast world and you're uh, possibly about, I think half of my audience at the moment is Australian and if you're listening then you'll know that Dr. Brett Hill is quite a podcast star. He's also a chiropractor, wellness coach's coach and author of the life-changing book, How to Eat an Elephant, which I love that title by the way, Brett. Um, <laughs> cool. we'll, uh, yeah, we'll talk more about that book as well later. Uh, Brett regularly appears on TV, radio and in print and media appearances. You're basically all over the place. The way that I found out about, about Brett was that I connected with a few um, different Facebook groups groups and different few different people on uh, in the paleo lifestyle and we'll talk more about that because one of the reasons that I have you on is because I think a lot of people listening to the show don't know what that means and I really want to cover it but I asked people I said look you know before I dive in and get uh, Mark Sisson or you know one of those sort of pioneering names who is an Australian uh, authoritative figure basically in the paleo world and a few names cropped up, but the one thing that I realized that was quite interesting, that when your name came up, um, a lot of girls put your name forward, <laughs> and, uh, and they put it forward as if, you know, well, uh, yeah, they'd be really, um, let's just say there was a bit of swooning around it. Now, this might have something to do with your charmingly good looks. Um, or I'm your, blushing, I'm blushing. <laughs> as, you, as you should be. I was, yeah, I was quite intrigued as well. And as I said, embarrassingly, I didn't actually know who you were before then, and I think it's quite funny that being in the podcast world, I'm very familiar with a lot of podcasts, but my attention automatically goes to um, to the States. And I don't know why this is, but it's worth pointing out that your podcast is actually the number one health podcast in Australia. And it's very well established. Obviously, I've started listening to it since I found out about it a few weeks ago. And nice. very, very impressed uh, with what you're doing. Very impressed with uh, The Wellness Couch, um, which is the podcast channel itself. And you have a few shows under it. Uh, you know, one being the Wellness Guys show and that Paleo show. And uh, I, I believe you've got a few other shows on there as well that you don't actually uh, host yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So there's about, I think there's eight shows on the Wellness Couch now. So we, we started off with just the one, which was the Wellness Guys. And uh, and basically what happened was we kept getting feedback. And the feedback we kept getting from our fans was they kind of went, well, we love your show, but really, you know, you're only doing it once a week. We really want you to do it every single day. <laughs> and, wow. uh, and so the three of us, you know, myself, Damien and Lawrence, who are the co-hosts of the show, you know, we we do our podcasting. You know, we also run our own private practices. Uh, we also have, you know, projects outside of that. You know, I mean, I write books. I do media stuff. I, you know, I go speaking all around the place. And so mm. we just looked at it and we looked at each other. And, and we've all got kids as well. So we've got families and kids. And we just looked at each other and went, you know, every single day just is not going to work for us. You know, what do we do? And, and it just happened that we just had this discussion and that night I had dinner with Cindy O'Meara who's amazing and you know people are looking for some health information, Cindy O'Meara and her Changing Habits book and website is just awesome. And yeah. So I was having dinner with Cindy O'Meara, I said, Cindy, you know, this is what's happening and we just need some more information and I just kind of jokingly said to her, hey Cindy, you should do a podcast. And she sort of went, oh, actually, you know, I've got these two friends, we could do a podcast. And so, you know, within the space of about half an hour, we had our second show on the network and we realized that, hey, you know, we don't actually have to provide all the content here. If we can just bring in some great people to share 
you know, a wealth of information, then then we can really broaden what we do and and give people what they want without us having to podcast, you know, three times a day every day. And so um, so we brought on a whole bunch of shows, and so we've now got shows there that are about relationships. We've got shows there that are about your career, um, about you know, diet, about you know, all sorts of stuff, and and more shows coming hopefully soon within the next year or so. There'll definitely be more shows coming into the network as well. Yeah, it's kind and of exciting. It is exciting, and it's exciting not just for, I'm sure it's exciting for you, obviously, um, you know, producing them, but it's exciting for me as someone who, uh, you know, coming into this world of podcasting and being in Australia, it, it can kind of feel lonely until you realize that there are so many people uh, doing this and, and they're in it, and it makes you feel connected to a community that's a lot closer to home, for lack of a yeah. better term, that's what it is. And it's quality production, it's not just, you know, every Joe Blow is popping up and doing a podcast. Because I think it just doesn't work that way. Podcast is something that, uh, you know, it's a show that you need to treat with a certain level of respect to be able to sustain it. Um, and the thing that I noticed about all of your shows is that they've all been produced with a, you know, a real decent standard, real quality. Yeah, well, we have. We've got a great team that we've sort of brought on board with us. And, and Luke, who's our, our IT expert, I mean, he just does amazing stuff with those podcasts. So, you know, he's been doing all that back-end stuff right from the start and just keeping it at a real smick level. But, you know, you're dead right about how it could feel a bit lonely because I know when we first started particularly, you know, you sort of you do look at the health world. And, and as you said, so much of it does come from the States. And so, you know, the feedback we got, particularly when we first started, everyone was just like, wow, this is awesome. I'm so glad to have found a podcast that's Australian that talks about this kind of stuff. And, and you know, we get that sort of feedback all the time, particularly when we started the Paleo Show, because there's so many Paleo podcasts coming out from the States. And at the time we started, we were really the only one doing it in Australia. And so, um, but you do quickly discover that it is, it's an awesome network. I mean, the, the podcast community is actually really quite a tight-knit community and, and we interviewed a whole bunch of different podcasters from the states and from all over the world and they're so generous with their time and so generous with their advice and so generous just they just want to help you out they're actually a really passionate bunch who that you know the reason they do what they do is because they're passionate about what they do and uh, it was such an eye-opener it was such a great community to get involved with because they are so supportive in that way yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And I kind of feel the same way about the, um, you know, the paleo and the health and wellness community in general. And I think, uh, you know, for people listening, most of you, uh, most people who know me, they know that I'm very well connected in the business community, the entrepreneurship space, because that's kind of where I come from. And in the entrepreneurship space, it's a, probably a lot more common to get um, ambushed by hawkers who are, they might have great intentions, but when you go to a networking event or you go to a business seminar, there's a lot of people shoving business cards in your face. Whereas in the health world, it's not really that kind of a vibe because everyone's sort of in there to take care of themselves. They're there to take care of other people. They're not necessarily there to sell something because that comes very secondary. And it's, it's one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the show because of the sense of community that we're talking about, the sense of health. And as I mentioned, um, just that format of having a conversation, we were talking about this before we started recording, that it's something that I talk about every now and then. I kind of drop it into... Uh, the context of what I speak about, which is mostly business leadership. And then there's an aspect of you know life in general, which includes relationships and health. Something that I drop in every now and then is the fact that um, I have what many people would consider an alternative uh, kind of approach to nutrition. Um, and it's unfortunate that it's alternative, to be honest. But basically, I have a, you know, I have a paleo um, slash bulletproof uh, kind of approach to nutrition. And I don't really, I'm not comfortable talking about it with a lot of my friends, not because I hide it, 
Be- mm. Because every time that word comes up, there's a lot of stigma um, that gets associated with it that, oh no, here he goes on a rant. I'm going to get <laughs> clubbed on the head by a caveman talking about his diet. And, yeah. you know, please just shut up and let me eat my cake. Um, so I thought it would be great to have someone as authoritative as yourself uh, to come on and basically have a chat with me about, well, what is paleo at that very, very basic level? Uh, yep. People who are listening to this who have no idea what we're talking about, how can we introduce them to them very, very quickly? And then maybe start talking a little bit for the audience who do know what paleo is. Um, and, and I have a few questions for you to take it to that sort of intermediate level as well. Nice. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because, you know, I was very much the same when I first started getting into this sort of stuff. You know, I mentioned to you before off air that, that I lived in Sydney for probably about five years. And yeah. so. Um, I left Adelaide as a young guy, as a young student, I was about 21 years old and, and I'd lived this certain lifestyle, you know, and, and at that stage, you know, before I left, I'd been working in a hardware store with a bunch of my mates and, uh, you know, my lunch would be like a pie, a pasty, I'd have a 1.25 litre soft drink, sometimes I have a Mars bar as well, you know, oh, wow. I'd go out like Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, you know, drink pretty heavily, like, you know, not a, you know, alcoholic by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, probably a binge drinker by the by the current definitions of that. And, uh, and so I had this certain lifestyle and I had a whole bunch of mates who are, are great mates and still are great mates. Uh, but I went over to Sydney to continue my studies and, you know, continue to learn more about health and wellness and, you know, and obviously realized that that lifestyle wasn't congruent with my beliefs anymore and, and certainly wasn't congruent with the career path I wanted to take. And, uh, and so I made massive changes to my health and lifestyle while I was in Sydney. And so for me then five years later to come back to Adelaide and start reconnecting with all my old mates and they've sort of come back and here I am, you know, first of all, not drinking anymore. That was probably the biggest challenge they had with me, uh, but also having completely changed the way I ate, the way I thought, the way I looked at health. Um, you know, they were very much the same and, and to some degree still are. So sort of going, who is this guy? Who is this fanatic that's come back? What did you do with our old mate? You know, what, yeah. what's the story? Um, and it's been a really interesting journey and, and a lot of my d- mates are actually, uh, you know, medical, Western medical doctors, uh, dentists, physios, you know, doing a lot of that sort of, you know, in all those sort of fields because of course I studied with them in the first part of my degree as I did mm-hmm. my health science degree. And so, uh, so for them to sort of get their head around all the changes I'd made and, and as you said, what, what some would consider alternative approaches to health, um, you know, as, was an interesting journey in an interesting sort of way. And, and like you said, I think it does come down to just having those simple conversations, um, you know, not trying to shove stuff down people's throat, but just, you know, uh, presenting some information for people when they're ready to take that information on board and, and sparking people's curiosity as much as anything, which I think is, you know, probably the most important thing. And, you know, it's interesting you talk about it, you know, from a business perspective and talking about executives and solopreneurs and all those sort of things, professionals. And, uh, and it's such an important topic for them, I think, to understand because when you really understand health and wellness, particularly wellness, when you really understand what wellness is about, it's a different model of looking at health. You know, it's, it's a completely different model, which is a proactive model, which is a model that's aimed around optimal performance rather than just mitigating symptoms. And when you start mm-hmm. talking about optimal performance, you know, people from a business background, they tend to get it. You know, they tend to get the idea that it's like, well, we don't just want to sort of, you know, stay above the breadline. <laughs> you know, yeah. like that's, that's not the goal in business is to, you know, not go broke, right? The goal in business is, well, I'd actually like to be successful. I'd like to succeed, push myself forward, you know, 
obtain my my personal goals and and you know I guess the uh, the non monetary goals, <laughs> but also I'd like to achieve some monetary goals and, and be successful on both of those fronts. Just and, kick ass in general. Exactly, and and that's really at the end of the day, that's what wellness is about. It's about actually kind of kicking ass in general. It's it's not about just not being sick. It's about performing at your absolute best and. Once people start to realize that and they re- start to realize that actually, do you know what, if you want to kick ass in general in business, if you want to kick ass in general in your, the rest of your life, then you actually have to be kicking ass in your health to start with because if you're not kicking ass in your health, then you're not going to be able to do all the other things you want to do to have this successful life and, and either that or you're not going to get the chance to take advantage of it because you're not going to live long enough to really reap the rewards of all the work you're doing. Yeah, it's, it's really a foundational pillar and it's kind of a shame that I think a lot of people don't actually know what that means. They don't know what it means to be able to kick ass because they think they're doing good enough. They're doing well yeah. enough. Yeah. Um, and, and how do you, I'm wondering how do you actually talk to people before we go into the whole paleo conversation? <laughs> yeah. uh, there's two things I want to ask you. Firstly, how do you talk to people who are just complacent, I guess? They'd, if, if you yeah. started talking to them about optimal wellness, they'll think, yeah. well, you know, I'm I'm not eating um, ridiculous amounts of junk food, so I'm optimal enough. They might have brain fog and not realize it, and I know <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. part of my journey. They might have uh, suboptimal performance, but to them, it's good enough, which is optimal enough. Now, yeah. that's one part of it. The other thing is, I'm quite curious, you mentioned about you know going back to Adelaide and talking to your friends. There's a real aspect of personal leadership to have the discipline to cut your losses when your peer group tries to you know, basically uh, keep you safe and, and keep you safe for their own concerns <laughs> yeah. when yeah. you try and make a transformational um, sort of, you know, a transformational process in your life when you want to go yeah. from point A to something that uh, threatens people around you that you're going to leave them behind. So I'm wondering if you had those kind of experiences with any of your yeah. friends and relatives and how did you deal with that? Absolutely, with, with many of them. I mean, I could remember one of my mates, probably for the first six months I got back to Adelaide, every time we'd go out, he'd actually buy a beer and stick it in front of me. <laughs> like, oh, wow. like he, he just couldn't get his head around the fact that I wasn't drinking anymore. He was sure it was some sort of fad. He was, he was the, the funny thing was, he was actually convinced that I really did want to drink, but yeah. I was just denying myself for some other reason, you know. So, mm. he couldn't get his head around the fact that I'd actually chosen not to drink. He just thought I was denying myself. So, that was kind of an interesting take on it. Um, but yeah, definitely that happens. And you know, I think that the key to it really is um, you need to have a clear idea around who you are, around what you want to be, and around why you're doing it. And when you've got that really clear idea around why you're doing what you're doing, then it really changes things. You know, it changes your whole perspective, and and you know, you, you then see people in a different light. Uh, I guess the second thing you need to understand is that really the only person you control is you. You know, like you can't make your friends see things your way. In fact, you probably don't want to make your friends see things your way. You know, what you can control is what you do. And all you can control is, you know, putting out and and being a leading example and showing people what it's like to live in a certain way. Um, And then the the key is then if you want your friends to change this, you just need to be patient (laughs) because you can't tell them what to change. You can't tell them what to do. You actually have to wait for them to start deciding that they want to change and it's only once they decide that they want to change, it's only that once they decide to start asking you questions to start thinking about it differently that you get an opportunity to teach them and to start to spread the word. So, you know, the temptation when you make change like this is to become just evangelical about it and just want yeah. to kind of slam everybody and say, look, you all need to do this. This is amazing. I feel so good. I'm making these changes. Like, you got to change it now. And, and it just doesn't work. And uh, do you know what? I think everyone who goes through this sort of process does do that when they first start. <laughs> like you go through this period where you do 
go a bit evangelical and I've spoken to heaps of people and they all seem to have had a phase where they've done that a little bit and then you kind of, you get past that and, and I think the, the getting past it a lot of the time is when you become more confident about who you are and what you're doing and why you're doing it, you kind of lose that need to make everyone else do it too, to make you feel better about what you're doing Yeah, and, and so you almost move beyond that. Um, you know, the other aspect, of course, of it is surrounding yourself with people who get why you're doing what you're doing and are, and are on that same journey as well. So, you know, I mean, one of the brilliant things about the Wellness Couch is, you know, I get to go to and spend time with all the other co-hosts of the Wellness Couch and there's just some amazing people on there. So, you know, we do our Wellness Summit. We did the Wellness Summit in August last year in Melbourne. We got it coming up again this year. And, you know, you're there. We were there at the one day with like myself, with Damien Christoph, with Lawrence Tam, you know. Cindy O'Meara, Karen Smith, Kim Morrison, we had David Gillespie there, you know, we had uh, Nicole Bilsma there. We, we just had this amazing lineup of speakers and, and for those who aren't necessarily in the health and wellness world, they might not even know who those people are, but, but those are some great names in health and wellness. They, they just have amazing insight and knowledge and you know, to spend time with them, to go and have dinner with them, to, to you know, chat to them on Skype and, you know, do whatever. It's amazing when you surround yourself with those sort of people who are on the same journey with you, some of them who are you know, even further along that same journey than you, is that you just get that great support to help you understand that you know, actually you're not alone. There are actually lots of other people doing this same, you know, on this same path, on this same journey, pushing in the same direction and you, know, you get that support then. So it's, you know, it's a combination of uh, yeah, accepting the, the friends you've got and, and still loving those friends, but accepting that you know, they're on a different path and they may not be ready to do what you're doing yet. And then also finding other people who are on the same path who can sort of support you and help you with that as well. So um, yeah, I think it's a combination of those two in regards to, to that, to, to bringing your friends along and, and finding that support. Yeah, a couple of things that come to my mind is uh, one is leading by example. And I know I relate to that really strongly because when I first got into personal development, I kind of jumped right in as if it was a, it was a deep calling for me. Um, and, and I always knew at that point that a part of me was going to be a coach. And I went to medical school for a little while uh, before dropping out. And um, even then, it was all about you know helping people but there was an aspect yeah. of it that was about fixing people and i realized well, yeah. it took me a long time to realize there was a big difference and the difference, difference was is that if you go with that attitude of trying to fix people it's it's actually not about the people then that you're serving it's about you because you're seeking yeah. validation that other people uh, through their process of getting fixed by you are going to validate really what's your ego uh, calling out to you know yeah. say that yes i'm good enough to be able to fix you but when you're actually helping people leading by example, you're not necessarily attached to the outcome. And it's, it's interesting that I've experienced in my coaching career that people actually have much deeper and much more lasting and profound transformational experiences when they come to you and are transformed because you're leading by example and not actually shoving anything down their throats. Yeah, and I think this is where my chiropractic philosophy actually was such an amazing grounding for what I do now because, you know, chiropractic is really based on this premise and, you know, one of the fundamental premises of chiropractic is actually that the body doesn't need any help, it just needs no interference. Hmm. So, there's this idea that actually your body is actually designed to be healthy, like outrageous health is actually the normal state for your body. And, uh, and this kind of comes back to what you spoke about before where you were saying, well, you know, how do you get people to understand that they're not actually optimal, you know? 
And so we have this, so the, the chiropractic philosophy is your body doesn't need any help, it just needs no interference. So it's about just figuring out what's interfering with this state of outrageous health and, and getting rid of that. And that's what we do as chiropractors with the adjustment is removing interference from the nervous system so that the body can perform at its best, so that it can you know, be outrageously healthy. And so, you know, one of the first things I do with people when I see them in practice or whether it's, you know, talks or doing stuff with the wellness guys is I get really real with them about where we are actually at in terms of health in our country and in our society because we have this idea that we're actually doing a great job at health, that we're living longer, that we're, you know, we're doing great at health. But mm. when you actually look at the statistics, what they say is that, well, yeah, we might be living longer, and but that might be about to change as well because, we, you know, we might, the next generation might be the first one to, to not live less long than their parents. But, but we may be living longer, but we're certainly not living a better quality of life. You know, when you yeah. look at the years of morbidity, for example, you know, for as much as we've increased our, uh, our life expectancy, we've actually increased our years of morbidity by more than that. So mm. whilst we're living longer, we're getting less years of quality life. And so it's about looking at, well, what is quality life? And so I say to people, I say, well, look, you know, you, what they'll often do is they'll look around them and, they, and you look at everyone around you and say, well, yeah, sure, like I'm getting these aches and pains, I'm feeling a bit more tired. I, you know, I've got some degeneration in my spine, I've got, you know, but that's normal. Like I look around and everyone else is kind of the same. And I say, well, there's a really big difference between what's common and what's normal. And, and it's something that we mix up all the time in, in health and in other fields, in fact. But, but particularly in health, we get mixed up between what's common and what's normal. So what's common in Australia and, and in fact around the world is for people to be quite chronically ill. You know, mm. if we look at the stats in Australia, they show that about 77% of the population have some sort of chronic long-term health condition. Okay? So if you look at that and say, well, okay, well, do you really want to do what everyone else is doing? <laughs> you, know, you have to ask this question because if what everyone else is doing and how everyone else is feeling, well, they're actually chronically sick. And so if you want to be chronically sick, then do and feel what they do. But if you think that there's something more you can aspire to, if you'd like to be actually better than that, if you'd like to actually have outrageous health, if you'd like to be vital and energetic and inspired and you know functioning well and you know all those things, if you'd like to be just like you said, kicking ass in, in all the different aspects of your health, then there's actually another thing you can aim for. There's a different way of looking at your health, there's a different way of looking at your body. And it doesn't, you know. It's not a magic pill. It's not a magic potion. It's not a you know an exercise program. It's it's actually just getting back to what your body is designed to do. Because like I said, your body doesn't need any help. It just needs no interference. So if you start looking at what your body is designed to do, the lifestyle your body is designed to to live with, then you start to get an idea of well, actually, if I just get back to that 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 body that evolved over millions of years to be perfectly suited to one partic to a particular environment. And it is perfectly suited to that environment. It's so good. It's so clever. It's so amazing. If you just give the body the environment that it's suited for, then it actually will be outrageously healthy. I love it. I love it. That's great. Um, yeah, I, the first episode that I uh, did of the Life Optimize show was with Benny Ferguson based in Melbourne um, from Cohesion Gym. And yep. very similar messages, very similar messages in terms of alignment. And we spoke about my experiences with uh, Bikram Yoga and... Uh, you know, and some chiropractic experience as well. And the thing that I realized is that people just don't know what out of alignment means anymore because of, yeah. it's not even complacency. It's, it's, um, it's become this idea of tolerance because they're comparing themselves to everyone around you. And I always believe if you compare yourself to the average, then at most you're going to be above average. Um, yeah. In order to be excellent, you need to compare yourself to excellence as well. Yeah. How, do people, how do people become more present to what excellence is then? 
Oh, it's a tough one, I think, because it's it's really hard to get a grasp around what excellence is until you start doing it. Like, you know, I mean, you, you can become aware of it by, like you said, looking at other people who are excellent. Um, and I think, you know, the one of the keys, I think, you know, one of my favorite sayings, and I, I can't actually think who this saying is from right now, but, but you know, is, is that, you know, if it's possible for someone else, then it's possible for me. And, and I think if people could get their head around that one saying, you know, if they could mm. realize that, you know, because what people tend to think is, well, you know, what's average is what I have to accept, right? That, I, that if, if everyone else is doing it, then it must be just what we do and that's what I have to accept. Yeah. But if they actually realize that, well, if someone else can do it, why can't I? I mean, that's the way I always look at things. Like I look around the world and I just think, well, if he can do it, why can't I do it? Right? And I'm right. a bit competitive like that as well. So, I, I don't like to have someone else be able to do something I can't do. So, I'm like, right, you no, know, they cool. can do so, it, I'm so, going to do it. So, I, I guess it's really just about having higher quality role models then. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the role models you have are, are so important and and it, and it doesn't have to be the one role model. It, it's lots of different role models. So, it's about just looking around the world and kind of cherry picking the stuff you'd love to be able to do. So, you know, yeah. I mean, you mentioned Bikram yoga. Like, a, you know, I've always been someone who isn't particularly flexible. I've got to be perfectly honest. As much as I do heaps of functional fitness, I'm a chiropractor, I do, you know, I do a lot of stuff right. But the one thing I've been a little bit weaker on is probably my flexibility. And so, um, you know, it, it started getting to me. I'm like, okay, well, this, this is some of these exercises that we're doing that other people are just doing better at than me. And I'm like, well, that's okay, you know, but I can do that. I can change, you know, I can change what I'm doing to get a different result. And that's probably the other key thing that people need to understand is we're so conditioned to think that health comes from the outside in. You know, we're conditioned to think that someone else is going to fix me, something from the outside, be it a doctor, be it a pill, be it a program, you know, someone else is going to fix my health for me. And that's, that's where our current health system is at. It's all about a passive system where you rely on someone else to fix you when you break down. And, and quite frankly, it's failing. I mean, it's not working. We, we can't afford it. Hmm. it. It's falling apart. It's, it's not getting good outcomes. It's not actually making people healthy. Whilst it may be getting people living a little bit longer, it's not making people healthy because that's not even its aim. Its aim is to not let you die, not to make you outrageously healthy. Yeah. And so it's just not going on the wrong track. Um, sorry, I got off sidetrack. Then I've completely forgotten what the question was. No, no, that's okay. I think um, I think the point out of that really is that this is exactly why this whole topic is so transcendental across optimizing your business and your leadership in your yeah. life. Because, like you said, it it starts from within. It comes from within, and the mindset is really something that um, you know people oh, need yeah. to get their head around the importance that's, of the mindset. Well, that, that's that's actually the point I was trying to make. Was yeah, yeah and that that actually you can change it. That's the key thing. People are so conditioned by, by the media, by the ads on TV, by everything around them, by just society around them where everyone is taking such a passive approach to it and just accepting what comes to them uh, that they don't realize that they actually have a massive role to play in their health and that they can actually make conscious decisions and get different results and different outcomes. You know, we're, we're so conditioned to think that our health is related to, you know, bad germs, bad genes and bad luck that we just think that, well, this stuff's just going to happen to us. It doesn't matter what we do. Mm. But the reality is that there's so much research out there to show that if we make changes to our lifestyle, if we make changes to our diet, if we make changes to the way they exercise, if we make changes to the way we think, we can create really significant changes in the outcomes we get in terms of our health. I was um, I was just thinking the other day as well that you know the the reason that I call this show the Life Optimized Show is because the very definition of optimization is the act of rendering optimal, right? So it's uh, yeah. the optimization of growth and profitability and um, basically the continual improvement um, in in an effective way in a strategic way. And I think most people they kind of get to a certain point and they give up, 
And the reason they give up is a combination of things, lack of education, awareness, definitely a lack of ideal role models. And the other reason as well is that because I think a lot of people get comfortable with uh, what they do know and even what they know that they don't know, that when something comes that actually might shake up that paradigm, it's, it's just a lot easier, it's a lot more comfortable to reject it than be yeah. open-minded to you know, hearing it out, basically, and, and seeing, well, you know what, what you know might actually not be quite accurate. And instead of looking for new information, maybe start getting aware of misinformation that you've been fed um, yeah. and, and, and get present to that. Which is really something that, um, you know, I was so grateful to have you on the show for to uh, discuss this. And again, I sort of tie it back to uh, paleo, even though I don't consider myself hardcore paleo, because yeah. I think that word in itself has a lot of connotations <laughs> that's been caught up with it now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think this idea of wellness coming from a place of challenging, combating, and really questioning a lot of misinformation that has been uh, propagated through mainstream health, I guess, yeah. uh, mainstream health well, and, industries. I mean, the classic one's the food pyramid, isn't it? I mean, yeah. we've we've all seen it, we've all looked at it, we've all had it just drummed into our heads so much that we can't even think past the food pyramid, even though even the people who made the food pyramid have actually updated it. <laughs> you know, like yeah. they don't even think the food pyramid's right anymore. Their replacement isn't that great, but it's better than the food pyramid. So even they don't think that it's right anymore, but everyone still thinks, well, no, the food pyramid, that's what I do, you know, that, that's the optimum. If I could be just doing that, I'd be healthy. And it's just so grained in that the idea of changing it, the idea of you know, modifying your diet and taking some of that stuff out, it just scares people. And, and combine that with the fact that some of those foods might actually even be a little bit addictive. Yeah. And, so, and so then you start to talk about, well, not only is it an ingrained habit, it might actually be a little bit of an addiction, which is kind of scary for people. But And often people don't even realize that's why they're having such a violent reaction to possibly changing some of this stuff. Um, then, then all of a sudden, there, there's there can be quite a bit of resistance to people to wanting to look into and change. Um, you know, the the thing I always say to people though is just just give it a go, just give it a go and see what happens. And you know, find the stuff that's easy for you to change and and change that. You know, don't make it so hard on yourself. You know, like you said, you don't have to go full on hardline paleo and uh, and try and change everything in your life overnight because it just doesn't work and and yeah. you know that's certainly the the format of my whole book you know the whole how to eat an elephant concept is mm. you can't change everything all at once what well, actually do you know what? I shouldn't say that some people can <laughs> some people just go do you know what I'm just going to change everything all at once they change it overnight it works for them they feel great they stick with it and they way they go but they're a pretty small percentage of the population. It's a rare breed, yeah. Yeah, it's a rare most breed. people who try and change everything at once, they get about three weeks in, <laughs> they yep. find it's getting a bit tough, and they tend to fail at it. And, and, and what tends to happen, you see this all the time in health, you know, they go on a crash diet. They're like, that's it, as of tomorrow, I'm completely changing my diet. I'm turning the whole world upside down. I'm only eating, you know, whatever it is, whatever diet they're following, I'm going to do it 100% to the letter of the law forever. And like I said, they get about three weeks in, they, they fall apart, they fall off the wagon. They usually go back to, not only just back to where they started, they often go back even worse than when they started. You know, they're like back to the full-on binge eating, you know? True, true. And they feel lousy about themselves. You know, it ruins their self-esteem. They feel like such a failure for not being able to do it. They, they feel more tired and grumpy because they've gone back worse than what they were before. And it makes it even harder to try and get back on track and, and to try and start again next time. And, and a lot of people have been through that not once, but multiple, multiple times, you know, over and over again. And and one of the challenges with that is that sometimes they've just been trying programs that don't even work. You know, they've been trying to follow the food pyramid, and that just doesn't even work. You you can't follow the food pyramid and get health. You know, it's yeah. I mean, 
it, so mate I, I hear you loud and clear not optimal health anyway oh no so, no sorry to, sorry to cut you off I hear you no, loud and, I hear you loud and clear and I can imagine right now I visualize a lot of uh, listeners nodding their heads especially fans of yours and you know people uh, who, who know me and who have heard my rants on, on all of this stuff and I, I'm, I'm really curious and really interested about the people who have no idea what we're talking about at this point and yep. before we sort of lose them I want to bring them into our world a little bit Perfect. I want to kind of give them a tale of well what does this word paleo even mean and yep. what the hell are we talking about yeah so so let's just get back to basics right yeah so let's have a look at as i said before you know our bodies evolved to be perfectly suited to the environment that we're in right and so that evolution happened over a very long period of time evolution is a very very slow process okay so you know if we have a look at the diet we're currently eating a lot of what we're currently eating has only been around in the last perhaps 50 or 100 years you know if you walk into a supermarket and actually look at the food there and think what would my grandma when she was born 100 years ago what of this food would she have actually recognized? Like, what of this would have actually been available to her? And you realize that it's actually not much, okay? If you then go back maybe 10,000 years, you know, before the advent of modern agriculture, then it's a completely even different question again. You know, what, what food would they have recognized 10,000 years ago? And then mm -hmm. you realize that it's just this kind of one tiny little section of the supermarket. And so, you know, genetically, they would say that our genes have changed very little in the last 100,000 years. So we're talking an even longer period again. And so the paleo diet is all about saying, well, okay, if genetically we haven't changed much in the last 100,000 years, then perhaps if we just ate the stuff that they were eating 100,000 years ago, then that's actually what we're genetically designed to eat. And that sounds kind of weird and it sounds a bit crazy, but, and people think, well, in that case, I must just be eating meat, right? I must just be having like brontosaurus limbs and just, you know, munching them off the bone. <laughs> yeah. And that's what people think of when they think of the paleo diet. But actually, that's not the truth because what they were eating was actually lots of vegetables. Um, they were certainly eating some meat and, and including good healthy fats and we can talk about that a bit later because people, a lot of people have just heard me say that fat word and gone, oh, you can't eat fat but actually you can and that it's actually really healthy for you and really important for you but we mm -hmm. might talk about that a bit later. But really, it's lots of vegetables, it's healthy meats, it's nuts and seeds, it's water. It's that simple. It's just real food, whole food, unprocessed food, exactly the way nature intended it, exactly the way your body is intended to take it in it's really just keeping it simple. You know, people think that it's like this complex idea. Or the, fun, the one I love is that people think that it's this new fad diet, like it's like the latest trend, the latest craze, right? Well, if it's the latest craze, it's been around for a couple of million years. Like, you know, it's, it's actually nothing new. It's getting back to the basics, getting back to what we are really originally designed to eat. You're listening to The Life Optimized Show with Dev Singh. If you're enjoying the show so far, Remember to leave a rating and review on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. You can also keep up with all the episodes and show notes over at thelifeoptimizedshow.com. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you said that, actually. I was looking at the Sydney Paleo Community Facebook group uh, the other day, and someone posted this really cool little cartoon of these two people <laughs> sitting in a cave with a fire. I don't know if you saw this. And one of them's reading from this uh, you know, stone tablet and says, one teaspoon Celtic sea salt, quarter cup blanched almond flour, one <laughs> yeah, tablespoon yeah, coconut yeah. flour, you know, unpasteurized honey. And the other person just says, yeah. this paleo diet is harder than it looks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people do have this really glamorized kind of idea that Paleo is basically this exotic uh, kind of yeah. thing that really you know, alternative hipster kind of thing, but it's actually not. It's the most fundamental, foundational 
a way of eating that we could be doing in um, basically the best expression of our uh, of our genome. Yeah. Well, you know what one of the problems with that is that I think people do exactly what you're talking about. They actually start looking into paleo and they get their idea around paleo based on what they see in the books, what they see on the internet, what they see, you know, friends posting on Instagram or whatever yeah. it is. But in reality, what, what most of paleo is, is actually just, you know, whole real foods, meat and veg, you know, like meat and potatoes, not meat and potatoes, but like meat and sweet potatoes, you mm-hmm. know. Just the simple stuff is actually what most of paleo is, right? But it's not very sexy to talk about on Instagram or on Facebook or on, you know, to write a book about, right? Like you don't write a book about 100 different ways to have meat and three veg. You know? <laughs> it's, it's, it's not very exciting. It doesn't sell, right? Yeah. So when you start looking around the paleo community, what you actually see most of the time is the kind of little bits that go around the edges. Like, oh, how could I make this kind of slightly more decadent dessert? How could I make that paleo? How could I, you know... What can I do to to optimize my paleo even further? You know, you talk about some of the bulletproof stuff, and you know, there's so there's a whole bunch of stuff there around paleo that's you know complex recipes and you know trying to recreate complex meals using a paleo principle. But really, when you get back to paleo, it's the basics: it's meat, it's vegetables, it's nuts and seeds, it's water. You know, it's just simple, whole, real food without the rubbish, without the chemicals, without the additives, without the preservatives, without the sprays. You know, it's it's just whole, organic, grass-fed meats, whole, organic vegetables. You know, just the simple stuff is really what paleo is all about. Okay. Um, do you have do you have a resource that you can recommend for people who you know might have been intrigued enough to say, okay, I'll give I'll give this a shot. Um, What's the yeah. what's the simplest introduction I can go and look up, whether it's a video or you know a book that they can read or a website or a yeah. blog? Yeah, well, I mean, there's some great books out there. You know, obviously, I think my book's kind of cool. So my book's called How to Eat an Elephant, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's a really cool, uh, I guess, soft approach to introducing yourself to paleo. How to how to do it in like I was talking about before. How to make it easy for yourself so you actually succeed out of it. And and the whole purpose of my book is about chunking it down. So rather than trying to change everything at once, it's well, how about if we just change one thing and make it simple, make it small, make it easy, so that we actually achieve it. In fact, I say make it so small and so easy that you can't possibly fail so that you actually achieve it, so that you succeed at it. So that then the next time you go to make a change, you're feeling kind of good, A, about the fact that you've made a change and that makes you feel better, B, about the fact that you successfully made the change, so you're feeling good about yourself that you can actually do it. And so then next time you make a change, it's easier. Then next time you make a change, it's easier again. And it's kind of like the snowball effect, right? You just gradually make those changes over time. So. Look, I, I think that's a great way to get into it and get an introduction into paleo. The whole first section of it is really this philosophy that I'm talking about. It really goes into a, a different philosophy around health, around wellness, around eating, and explains what that means. Because my book doesn't just go into the eating side of it as well. It goes into the exercise and the mindset side of it, which perhaps we can talk about a little bit later on as well. So that's one option. Uh, you know, One of my other favorites is Rob Wolf's book called The Paleo Solution. Mm-hmm. I love Rob, really nice guy, really funny guy. So his book's actually quite amusing to read through and it sort of shares his story and you know he gets into a lot of the science behind it. He's a real smart cookie, he's done a lot of research and, uh, and so that's a really nice book. Um, as far as uh, you know, a really good website to start looking at stuff, I find Mark's Daily Apple by Mark Sisson, you know, his website's a really nice way to just get into learning some paleo information. Um, and then, of course, our podcast show. So we do the show called That Paleo Show. Yeah. And actually, one of the things we decided when we started doing our podcast was we really wanted to make the first 12 episodes of our podcast actually just the absolute nuts and bolts basics of like what is paleo and how do I do it. And so before we started getting into, like you said, all these complicated recipes and you know these other 
ideas around sort of the fringe of paleo where it starts to get a bit more exotic and complicated, which went, well, let's just talk about the basics first. And so those first 12 episodes are just a really simple introduction for people into, you know, what paleo is and how you might go about doing it. Okay, that sounds really cool. Now, yeah. I have a couple of rapid fire questions. Um, cool. Some of them are from me and some of them I actually put out uh, just with my networks, specifically nice. the people who I knew uh, were into paleo, if they had cool. any questions for you. Um, so, uh, I think the, the most fundamental question, it's actually a variation of a question that I got that I wanted to ask you is, and I know this is very difficult to give a simple answer to, but basically, what is the problem with sugar and grains and why is fat good for you? Cool. All right. So basically, I mean, the fundamental problem with sugar and grains is that we didn't evolve eating them, so we're not very, we're not designed to deal with them very well. Okay. So, so sugar, particularly if we start with sugar, I mean, sugar in the form that we have it most of the time in our modern society just wasn't around at all in a Paleolithic time, and so, you know, our bodies were designed to, um, to try and store energy for leaner times, essentially. You know, so, mm -hmm. so we were designed to take in sugar to store it as fat. Because um, people don't understand when you eat sugar, your body t converts it. Or you have, well, in, when you eat excessive sugar, which most people are eating excessive sugar, your body is designed to store that energy as fat so that you can use it later on in leaner times. In our modern society, there aren't any leaner times. We always have access to sugar. We always have access to food. Um, so your body tends to put on weight, tends to store it as fat. It has effects on your body metabolically. Um, it has effects in terms of, you know, diabetes, in terms of, you know, a whole range. I mean, really, it's linked to just about all of the chronic health conditions we're seeing because of the effects it has on storing fat and on changing your hormones and, and creating that insulin sensitivity. So our bodies don't deal well with a lot of sugar is essentially the answer to that. Um, in a similar way, our bodies don't deal with a lot of, deal well with grains at all, but particularly not a lot of grains. I mean, the quantity of grains we eat People think that grains are a historic food that we've always eaten. You know, they say, well, grains have been around for thousands of years. People have been eating them. But then what people don't understand is that thousands of years is actually a minuscule amount of time from an evolutionary perspective. Okay, it's actually a very short amount of time. And we can have trouble getting our head around that because thousands of years, you know, 10,000 years sounds like a really long time to me. But from an evolutionary perspective, it's actually a very short period of time. Um, if people want to know more about that, then William Davis's book, uh, wheat belly is just fantastic introduction to that and talks all about particularly wheat and why that's not as good for not so good for our health um, and the other thing you need to understand is the way those uh, grain crops have been changed over time is that they've actually been changed even away from those original grains which we probably didn't deal with that well anyway now to something that's even been modified and genetically modified and changed uh, through through genetic modification but also through selective breeding to be something that's completely different to the grains that were around you know, even sort of a thousand years ago. So, um, so once again, it's not a food that our bodies are designed to eat. It's not the food that our bodies function well with. And so those grains really are being linked to a lot of the autoimmune conditions we're seeing in our society. We're really seeing a rapid rise in these autoimmune and inflammatory conditions. And, and that can be anything from, you know, uh, arthritis throughout your joints to, to you know, autoimmune conditions involving your, your core organs to, you know, brain function. You know, there's another book called Grain Brain that's just come out recently, which talks all about how these grains can actually have an impact on your brain function. Yeah, I was going to mention, and, I'm a big fan of Dr. David Perlmutter. Yeah, yeah. So, mm. I mean, that's just an awesome book. And when you start to understand that, and you actually start to understand the addictive properties of grain and realize that you can actually become quite addictive to grain and, and all you need to do is you know, try and take someone's you know, morning cereal or their morning toast away from them and tell them they can't eat it anymore to realize that there's an addiction there, um, an addictive property of the grains. And so, um, 
Yeah, so they're just not foods that our bodies are naturally designed to thrive on. You know, we can survive on them. Uh, you know, they may even be good if you're trying to feed a massive amount of population, which is really why we've started using them is because you can feed a huge amount of people from a very small, you know, income, you know, from a very small budget. Um, but in terms of what makes your body thrive rather than just what makes your body survive, then then you're better off without the grains and sugars. Yeah, and, and I would I would also argue that um, that these days the the rate of genetic modification of grain production around the mm. world and you know just constraints on manufacturing and distribution yeah. of grains it's 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 actually not good enough for survival either. Yeah, well, yeah. Once again, it depends how you define survival. I guess if you're talking about you know <laughs> That's to get true. through today, then, then it's probably okay. <laughs> good talk, point. Yeah, if you're talking about long term survival, if you're talking about living a long, happy, healthy life, yeah. then no, then I don't think that's what you should be doing. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very quickly, what about people who say, oh, well, that's okay, I only eat wholemeal bread? Yeah, well, it's interesting because you know some of the studies suggest that actually the wholemeal bread might even be worse for you mm-hmm. uh, because, because it involves, it still has in it the protective coating that the grain wraps around itself. Yeah. Um, that actually the wholemeal, that, that's actually the bit that the grain uses to try and protect itself from being digested, from being eaten. And so they're suggesting that they, actually that wholemeal may even be worse. Um, I, I remember uh, seeing something suggesting that the wholemeal bread actually would elevate your blood sugar faster than the white bread, which, you know, logically you think that just seems crazy. But so, so the the wholemeal, once again, it's still a grain crop. It's still a crop that your body's not designed to deal with, to function well with. So, um, you know, it's whilst people think of it as being the healthier option, it's not necessarily the case. Um, and and just just try try thirty days without having the grains and see what happens to your body. See how you feel. Yeah, this is yeah, just oh man, I just I just wish people listening to this will uh, will take that on. It's completely transformed my life. That's one thing that I'll tell people. Being being someone who is this is not a health and wellness. Well, I should say this is not a health show, but it is a wellness yeah. show because everything yeah. is about wellness and Absolutely. the impact that changing my diet has had on improving my clarity to be more optimized in my business, to be more optimized in my leadership positions, to then be able to help my clients better um, in, 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 in the work that I do, it's just phenomenal. And yeah, absolutely. I, like, I, if you want to have yeah. more energy, you know, if you want to have clearer thought, if you want to increase your productivity, then you've got to give this a go because you'll be amazed at the changes in terms of brain function, let alone everything else going on in your body. You'll be amazed. That's right, yeah. So another question that uh, came through is, what are your absolute non-negotiables? I think you've kind of hinted at this a little bit. Um, yeah. But what are your non-negotiables in your diet and what things will you sort of let slip uh, when it comes to <laughs> living a paleo healthy lifestyle? Yeah, do you know what? I, I don't think, I, I, I get asked this a bit and I don't think I've actually got any non-negotiables. How's that? People okay, think, interesting. People, people think that I'm probably gonna have heaps of non-negotiables. I don't think I've got any absolute non-negotiables. You know, I mean, for example, I, I haven't had a drink. I hadn't, up until a couple of months ago, I hadn't had a drink for eight years. Right? Mm-hmm. And so I just I decided that I realized that for me, once again, I function better, I perform better, I get more done, I feel happier and healthier when I don't drink alcohol. Um, you know, it wasn't, some people think it's because I was an alcoholic, it wasn't the case. You know, some people think I might be allergic to it. You know, it, I just chose not to do it because I felt better and I functioned better and I was happier and healthier when I didn't drink. Yeah. So I decided not to. Uh, having said that, you know, probably about three years ago, you know, I play, I'm obsessed with cricket. I love cricket and I play for this cricket team and, and we haven't been very successful over the journey. So about three years ago, my teammate said to me, they're like, look, Brett, you know, because they always rib me about not drinking and all that sort of stuff because, I, you know, we go back after the game and everyone's having a beer and I just go, no, nah, I'll just have some water. That's fine. 
And so they always ripped me. They said, look, Brad, if we win a cricket premiership, will you have a beer with us? And I was like, yep, no worries. And to be honest, at the time, I thought there's no risk of that happening anyway. So, you know, I may as well say yes. <laughs> and so, so a couple of months ago, we won a cricket premiership. We, we won the cup. And, uh, and so I said to the boys, look, do you know what? Why not? So that night, I had a beer with the boys. We had a good night. We celebrated our win. It was really fun. And then since then, I've just gone back to not drinking quite happily. You know, I had, I had my one night. I enjoyed it with the boys. We had a good night. And so, you know, I said, well, look, you know, if, if that happens, I'll, I'll have a beer with them. You know, if, if I go to, I don't know, if I go to Russia, you know, for a holiday, I might have a vodka just yeah. to experience it, to having a vodka in Russia, you know. Or, you know, if I go to a, I don't know, if I'm at my mother-in-law's house and she's put on this amazing dinner and she's like spent 10 hours that day cooking a bread that, you know, she's so proud of and she so desperately wants me to try, you know, I might have a little piece of that bread, okay. And, and so I don't think I've actually got any non-negotiables. But this is the thing, like for me, because it's not about denying myself stuff, right? So, so I, don't have to, I don't have to think, well, I, I can't eat bread. I, I never think I can't eat bread. I never think I, don't, I can't drink alcohol. I never think I can't have dairy or whatever it happens to be. I actually choose not to. So, and, and once again, this is the difference when you're talking about wellness. It's a conscious choice to make a proactive decision about what you'd like rather than avoiding what you wouldn't like. And so, so for me, it's a conscious choice to choose that. And so, you know, 99.99% of the time, or, you know, probably not that often, but, you know, most of the time I, I choose to make the healthy choice. Sometimes yeah. I don't. And, uh, you know, it's important, I think, not to stress yourself about that. You know, a lot of people talk about the 80-20 rule and they say, well, you know, if you eat 80% good stuff and 20% bad stuff, then you'll be fine. That'll be a healthy way to do it. I'm not a big fan of that. Once again, I don't think that's particularly a wellness approach. You know, my wellness approach is that I'd like to be always improving. Right? So I'd, I'd like to be getting better all the time. And what that means is, if well, if I'm at 50%, I'm not going to try and be 80%. Right? I'm going to try and be 51% or 52%. You know, I just want to make that small change and that continual movement to better myself. By the same token, if I'm at 80, I'm not going to stop at 80 and go, well, 80, that's pretty good. I'm doing all right. I'm going to go, well, I wonder what, how I could get to 81 or 82%. You know, like I'm always striving to improve and to do a little bit better. And, and the way I do that is by judging, my, by judging what I do based on how I feel and function afterwards. Okay, so rather than, you know, if I eat that bread, then I'll, go, I'll, I'll pay attention to it. You know, I'll really pay attention to what happens in my body, to, to how I feel that night, to how I feel the next day, to how I feel over the next week, and pay attention to what happens inside my body because I know that when I keep doing that, I keep getting feedback and I keep getting responses back that make me say, well, do you know what? I notice, and this is for me, I notice if I have bread and dairy, uh, sorry, bread and uh, grains, particularly wheat, you know, I will get more tired. I'll, that night even, I'll be tired, but particularly the next day, you know, I might get some acne as a result of having some, some gluten in my mm. diet. You know, I might notice that my brain just isn't quite as clear and performing as well. And so I constantly get that feedback back about what's going on and use that to constantly improve and try and get a little bit better. But you know, I don't put the pressure on myself to say, well, I'm going to be 100% because I know I'm not. Um, and I'm not aiming to be 100%. I'm just try aiming to be a little bit better than what I was yesterday. I think that's so brilliant. I'm 100% on the page with you with that. Everything that you just said, I think it's quite a unique perspective. Um, and it's very refreshing to know that, you know, we both share that unique perspective. And the yeah. way that I actually sum it up is really that having that ownership of choice means that you know, when you think about it from that perspective, the 80-20 rule can be used as a bit of a cop-out. And people will yeah. use that to say that, well, you know, it's okay, I'm 80% uh, fine, so that's good enough. And as soon as you yeah. say that I'm good enough, I notice that, you know, people just start slipping backwards. 
and, absolutely and it's all not of a sudden that, the 20 becomes 25 that's right or, or even if it becomes 21 it's still yeah. it's still going to do some damage and the point is not that you know it always needs to be a struggle but i think then you need to get to a certain point to be able to say that now I can make an informed choice. I can take ownership over my wellness because I actually know what the results are. And I, I tell people one of the greatest benefits that I ever had of changing my nutrition was going back for a time to eating crap, mm. not regularly, yeah. but just every yeah, now and yeah. then when I would eat something bad, I would become much more aware of the result of it. Whereas, yeah, don't you? yeah you do. Like, you know, if you have a, if you have a piece of grain, um, sorry, a piece of bread, you know what the consequences are because your system's been cleaned of it for that long. But at the same token, there are so many people who say, well, no, it's not that I'm not eating, you know, it's not that I can't stop eating whole meal bread. I just, I choose not to. Well, yeah. you can't really choose not to unless you've actually tried it. That's just yeah. like saying, like a smoker saying that it's not that I can't quit smoking. Um, I just choose not to. Yeah. Really, it's it's amazing how people are not really aware of what kind of things they can be addicted to. And I think this translates into... Uh, habits and you know personal leadership again in various aspects of your life not just in terms of your diet and what you're putting in your mouth but what you're putting in your mind what you're putting in your spirit um, and what you're putting into your relationships by all of these kind of things that we can be addicted with by habits but because they're not they're not necessarily optimal but we're trained to believe that they're not necessarily evil either yeah um, we think it's good enough it's okay uh, it's fine it's just a choice it is my choice when it's really not your choice at all yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, if you give it a go, if you try it for a while and see what changes, and you might feel better, you might not. But, you know, let's say you feel better. Then you get to make a conscious choice, don't you? Because then it's an informed choice. Because until you've actually given it a go, you're actually not making an informed choice because you actually don't know how much better you'll be if you do it. Yeah. You don't know how bad you are when you don't do it. You actually don't have a point of comparison. So if you want to make an informed choice, then you give it a go, you try it out, you see what happens, most importantly, you pay attention to what happens because that's the really important part. Yep. And then that allows you, that gives you the information to make an informed choice about what it is that you want to do. And that's really what wellness is about. You know, I say, but my, my role isn't actually to get you to change your behavior. My role is to inform you about the consequences of changing behavior and not changing behavior so that you can make an informed choice. Yeah, yeah. And it starts with mindfulness. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know what? It's funny you talk about that because yeah, at the moment I'm writing an ebook about kids' healthy eating. Mm-hmm. And that's really the key to kids' healthy eating. Like, kids are so aware of how they feel, of how they're functioning, of what's going on in their body that if you can just get kids to start paying attention to how they feel after they've eaten stuff, either that night or the next day, how they feel, how energetic they feel, how cranky they feel, how well they sleep. Kids get it. It's awesome. They really pick up on it and they will actually be wanting to make the health, not not feeling like they have to, and this is a really key distinction, not feeling like they have to eat healthy stuff, but actually choosing that they want to eat healthy stuff. Yeah. And that's the key to setting up really healthy habits for kids for their lifetime, not just in terms of what they eat either, in terms of how they exercise, how they think, how they go about business, like everything. It's really cool. Yeah, there are very few things that break my heart in this world because I, I think I'm, you know, a bit of an eternal optimist in many ways. And also, I just focus on the positive things. But one of the things that does really break my heart is when I see parents feeling obligated to feed their kids sugar because they think that yeah. that's the only way to get them calm. Yeah, yeah. It, it actually they, really pisses me off. And they think that if they don't give it to their kids, they're actually going to be denying them. Yeah. Like, People and, and people think this, and and to some degree, as a parent, you get this as peer pressure. Like people are like, "So hang on, you're not going to give your kids Cadbury Easter eggs at Christmas at, at Easter time?" And, you know, <laughs> what a bad like, parent you like, must well, be! You must be like the worst parent in the world. Yeah. But what they don't realize is that I can actually make stuff at home 
that my kids are actually just as happy to eat. Like they're super excited about it. It's their absolute favorite food and they're super excited. And I made some homemade chocolates at Easter and they were awesome and they were really nice and healthy and natural. But I also made like some nut balls, which people would be like, nut balls? Like who's gonna get excited about nut balls? <laughs> but my kids love nut balls. And so I made them for them at Easter. I guarantee you, they didn't feel like they were missing out. Like it's just our conditioning that makes us think that they feel like they're missing out, that, that we're worried that they might feel missed out, that you know, there's this perception there. But actually in their head, they're as happy as Larry. They loved it. They were so excited. They had so much fun. They got to search around and find stuff at Easter. They had the best Easter and it was healthy. And, and we kind of, we just, it's, it's just our conditioning that makes us think that that's not possible or to think that we're punishing them or denying them. Yeah. So it's one thing to recondition parents. How do you actually recondition kids? Like, let's say there's a parent listening to this show and they kind of feel stuck. They feel that their kids are already addicted to sugar. And now if they try and make that choice of giving an apple to their kid instead of giving them uh, a chocolate bar, the kid's going to freak out. The kid's going to absolutely throw a tantrum and they just can't handle that pressure. What, What can you advise for them? Well, I think once again, it comes back to chunking it down and it comes back to taking it one step at a time. So you might not go from the chocolate bar to the apple. <laughs> you okay. might like go from the chocolate bar to the healthy homemade chocolate. You know, you might go from the, the healthy homemade chocolate to the nut ball. You might go from the nut ball to some nuts. You know, you might go from some nuts to some fruit. You know, there might be eight steps along the way that you're going to do that. And, and with kids, once again, just like with adults, you want to find the, a small step and a step that your kids are happy to make. So. Parents think that they have to, and, and adults think that you have to pick the hardest thing first. And it's this sort of thing of all, if we're going to make a change, we may as well make a good one, we may as well make a big one and really make a difference. But actually, if you pick the easiest thing first, then you're going to succeed at it. And you're going to succeed at making change as a parent. The kids will succeed at making change as a kid. There's a real positive reinforcement there that makes it easier to make more changes in the future. All right. So, you know, you might not even start with a chocolate. You might start with something simple or something that they think the kids want. And and you just keep trying stuff until you find something that healthier that the kid wants. Like you just cycle through however many things it takes until you find something they want that they're happy with and you start there. And then you you know, and you just keep adding little bits in one bit at a time until you've made a massive difference with the kids. Do you know what? Not even realizing that you made the difference. And one day what will happen is they'll go back to eating something sugary. They'll go to a birthday party. And then once again, that's a great opportunity to go, hey, remember how you used to eat that stuff all the time? Isn't that interesting? How do you feel now after having eaten that? Do you notice that you feel a bit tired and grumpy? You know, do you notice that, you know, the next day you've been a bit like rattier? Do you notice you're, you know, you've been a bit more off tap than you usually are? And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it sounds bad, but kids get it. They're like, yeah, actually, do you know what? Yeah, I haven't been feeling as, you know, centered today. Like I haven't been feeling as calm or I didn't sleep very well or, you know, whatever it is. I am feeling a bit tired. Like kids actually notice what's going on in their body. And so it's just about that continual effort to make a change and to keep trying different stuff. And then when they do try different stuff, then talk to them about it. Talk to them about how it affects them, how it makes them feel, how it affects their function of their body. And if they do go back to the bad stuff, talk to them about that too. Not from a, you know, not making them feel guilty, not having a go at them, just saying, what do you notice? You know, what do you notice about when what happens when you do that? And they'll get it. They get it. Excellent. Now, a lot of these decisions with kids, um, at least in my observation, they come from the mother. And they come from yep. women who, <laughs> yep. you know, who make those decisions. And, and we all know um, women have a very different relationship to food as well, uh, yep. to men. How, how does the paleo diet or wellness, uh, when it comes to nutrition, in your opinion, in general, uh, differ for women? Are there specific sort of optimal diet tips that you give for women compared to men? Uh, you know, not particularly. I think, I think the paleo diet... Uh, just works really well for both. 
You know, I mean, I think one of the aspects of the paleo diet that works really well for women is is the exclusion of the soy. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, that can be something that can really mess with women, particularly their hormone balances in their body, even more so than it does with men. So, I think that one aspect of the paleo diet is a really beneficial one for women to consider. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, I find both t- can do really well on the paleo diet, you know. And, you know, some women will be less inclined to eat lots of meat than blokes. And so, they may do a slightly different version of the paleo diet to what some of the blokes will. If that's the way they want to go, then they'll have, you know, they might have more vegetables. They might have more green vegetables to still get some protein in there. They might have some more, you know, perhaps some more coconut oil to still get some fats into their diet. You know, they, they may just have a different version of the paleo diet, uh, but they don't need to. There's, there's no reason that they have to do that. There are plenty of women out there who love their meat and their high fat diets and their, their paleo stuff and are perfectly happy doing it that way as well. Um, so, look, I don't think there's any hard and fast rule as far as men and women. I mean, I think from an evolutionary perspective, we were probably eating pretty similar stuff. So, uh, I don't think you need to, to be too fussy about tailoring it to men and women. And that's kind of one of the nice things about the paleo diet. If you if you just stick to the basics, if you just eat real food, if you just eat the food our body's intended to eat, mm-hmm. then you'll tend to do really well. Okay, cool. A friend of mine had a very specific question for you. Um, do you have any tips on improving fertility through diet or lifestyle? Oh, it's such a good question. That there's heaps of stuff there that you can go into, but you know, probably a couple of the key questions I would say is one: make sure you're getting enough fat in your diet. And this kind of comes back to what you were saying before about fats and, and why fats are important. Oh, that's right. Which was another question actually about yeah, saturated yeah. So, fat. Yeah. Fats are really are a really important part of the diet, and and all of the steroid-based hormones that flood around your body that are particularly important for fertility, that are particularly important for for you know ladies their cycles and all those sort of things, but also really important for men, testosterone, all of those sort of things. Mm-hmm. They're they're, they're cholesterol-based, they're fat-based. Okay, so you need to have healthy fats in your diet if you want to be producing healthy hormones in your body. And so it's really important that you're getting a good amount of fat in your diet, um, you know, from some really good quality sources as well. So, you know, everyone sort of knows now that the omega-3s are really important. So get some fish into your diet. That'd be great. Get some grass-fed meats into your diet. You know, the grass-fed meats have a much healthier omega-3 to omega-6 ratio than the grain-fed stuff. So, you know, the animals are healthier on grass and on grains as well, not just the humans. So. Mm. So make sure that they're getting some good healthy meats into their diet. Um, so yeah, I would say one of the things for fertility would definitely be the fats. The second thing for fertility, I think probably one of the biggest challenges for fertility is really stress. You know, it's it's managing the stress levels in your body and, and eating good food is really going to help with that because, you know, those processed foods, those sugary foods can stress your body out. Um, getting some adequate exercise is super important. Like that's the way your body is designed to switch off the stress response in your body is by getting movement and getting exercise. When you do that, your spine moves, well, your body moves, and particularly your spine moves. This thing called proprioception sends messages back to your brain. About 80% of them come from your spine, and that helps to release dopamine and serotonin in your brain, which is your body's de-stress sort of feel-good chemicals. So exercise, and actually, and chiropractic care is a really important part of this because if your spine's functioning well, then you get an even better benefit. So getting chiropractic care and exercising is going to ensure that you're getting that proper stimulation back to your brain that's helping your body de-stress. So that's really important. And then obviously, you know, managing your workload, managing your time, having some time to yourself, having some time to you know meditate or unwind in whatever way you do that. Um, you know, managing your, your the stress in your life is a really important aspect of that as well. So, you know, I would say those are probably my two keys. Um, and perhaps, uh, yeah, perhaps steer away from the soy products, I would say, perhaps the other one I would say. Yeah. 
Well, one of the things that really uh, turned me on to awareness about soy was Dr. Sarah Gottfried, who wrote that book, um, The Hormone Cure. And one thing she speaks a lot about, and I, I definitely recommend um, that if you can get it on your show, that'd be really good as well, if you haven't already. Yeah, cool. And she, she speaks a lot about um, a big problem with men with weight gain in men and women is the testosterone to diestrol ratio. And it's something that's, uh, you know, very specific. So it kind of gets lost in the gamut of uh, hormonal exploration that people do in diet. But yeah. really, there are basically things that are going to impact your inflammatory levels. And they're going to throw off that testosterone to diesterol ratio. And there are things that are going to help it. And, yeah. and if, even if you look at, I mean, obviously, it's one aspect to overall wellness, but it's a very significant aspect. And soy and corn are two of the most detrimental things that you can possibly do for inflammation, um, obviously alongside the obvious grains and sugars. Um, but soy and corn, especially the way that they're genetically modified in the world at the moment, yeah. uh, they're just absolute danger foods. But, and, but, you know, the cool thing about fertility is yep. that what we know about the body, what we know about evolution is that one of the prime drivers of evolution was actually the ability to reproduce, right? So, <laughs> so from an evolutionary perspective, really, the end goal was to, to be healthy enough to live long enough to reproduce and to be able to reproduce. I yeah. mean, that's what drives evolution. So if you want to, you know, if you look at it from that perspective and say, well, obviously, then the lifestyle we were living back then, the paleo time, was the lifestyle that was perfectly suited. Well, sorry, the way our body evolved was to be perfectly suited to be optimally able to evolve in to reproduce in that lifestyle. Right? Mm -hmm. So, so you don't really need to get into the nitty gritty. Like you can get so lost in all the nitty gritty of chemical tests and you know and all of the different stuff that you can do. But, but really, if all you do is sort of say, well, okay, what would that lifestyle look like? What sort of food would I eat if I was trying to replicate that lifestyle? And 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 people get mixed up with paleo and they say, well, look, you can't do paleo in a modern world because our foods are a little bit different, our lifestyles are a bit different, you know, all that sort of stuff. And and it's not about going back and living in a cave and you know all that sort of stuff. It's just about as close as you possibly can, trying to get back to something similar to what we did back then. Right? And so if you start thinking, well, what are the simple foods I could eat that would be more like what we ate back then? What's the sort of exercise I could do that would be more like what we did back then? You know, what's, what's the sort of mindset I could have and, you know, I guess community engagement and, uh, and rest and recovery I could have, you know, sleep patterns I could have that would be more like what we did back then? You know, if you just do those simple things well, then chances are you're going to be putting yourself in the ideal position to be able to reproduce because that's how we evolved. Uh, Brett, there are so many questions I have that I want to ask you, but one particular question that I think uh, is a little bit transitioning into a different aspect a little bit, a different area, is yeah, cool. I'm really curious to know how has this impacted your optimization or your, or your levels of optimization in your business and leadership? So not just in terms of making you more healthy to be able to have more energy for this stuff but have, have there be, been things as a result of being in this world of uh, you know paleolithic lifestyle or being in this world of generally focusing on your wellness that have you know kind of um, carried over into other areas of your life specifically in your business and leadership and and your relationships as well yeah well look i think basically the philosophy like my my philosophical understanding of health and well-being has really driven everything else that I do. So, you know, I've, I've really, you know, I talk about my chiropractic philosophy because really for me it did start with chiropractic and my chiropractic understanding of the world and of health. And and what I've what I've really done is, you know, I, I tell people, look, I live my life chiropractically. Like, I just, you know, I shop at the shops chiropractically. <laughs> you know, like I mm -hmm. exercise chiropractically. <laughs> I I go into my business chiropractically. So so it's this understanding, I guess, that 
that you know that the world is a really cool place you know and that that everything is designed to be how it's designed to be and that I don't have to um, I don't have to create it I don't have to fix it I don't have to change it what I have to do is allow it to express itself and make sure that I'm giving it the best opportunity to express itself so you know when I think about my business it's sort of like you know what can I do to create the ideal environment for that business to th- th- yeah, flourish you know what, what can I do to just create this this natural environment where it's just going to grow and flourish and so you know I like to look at it as you know I guess almost as an organism in itself you know it's a very organic way of doing it much like I would look at my body and say well what does it need what does it not need how can I give it what it needs remove the interference allow it to flourish well you always look at your business the same way you look at your your relationships the same way you look at your you know, the whole rest of your life the same way it's, it's just how do I create the environment where it can just flourish and just thrive and and it's it, it is a proactive approach you know it's not about waiting until the business falls apart you know you don't you don't wait until you don't have any sales to decide to do some marketing you know you don't wait <laughs> until your business you know your, your relationships are falling apart to decide to do something proactive to keep it on track you know it's about being more proactive trying to get out there and do stuff consciously um, to, to keep it thriving basically wow that's awesome so, Brett, one question that I've been wanting to ask as well. Uh, actually, I've been wanting to ask this to a few paleo people because it's something that's just starting to come into a bit of debate lately. A, a lot of paleo people have this attitude, right? This is probably a bit more of an advanced question, but a lot of paleo <laughs> yeah. people have this attitude that uh, counting calories is absolutely redundant. So, just eat as much as you possibly can, or sorry, as much as you possibly want, at least in some cases, that's as much as you can, um, <laughs> and you'll still lose weight. I think that's oversimplistic. Yeah. I do believe that you know not all calories are created equal, and it's mm-hmm. very simplistic to just talk about calorie deficit and surplus. But it seems to be something very prominent in the paleo community to say that you can eat as much as you like; doesn't make a difference. Uh, what's your take on this? Yeah, well, you know what I've found is that when you eat the right stuff, mm-hmm. uh, once again, you know your body has mechanisms for this. You know your body has mechanisms to tell you when you need to eat, when you need to stop eating. When's enough, you know, that sort of stuff. So, so your body does, is designed to deal with it. When you're eating the right stuff, what you tend to find is that you just don't, you don't overeat, you don't over binge. You actually eat until you feel full. And when you feel full, you stop. And, and I guess, the, you know, one of the key bits of that is actually listening to your body. You know, some people have been, become so uh, desensitized to listening to their body that they actually can find that difficult. So, you know, as long as you're being aware of the signals your body's giving you, your body, and you're eating the right stuff, then your body's going to tell you when to stop. You know, with the wellness guys, we did a live show at the, at the Adelaide Fringe a couple of years ago, which was quite funny because that's a comedy festival and we were doing a health program. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that was kind of interesting. But one of the things we did was we did an eating contest. And so basically what we did was we, we picked someone out of the audience who was like the biggest appetite in the audience, you know, someone who could just eat until the cows came home. Okay. We, we picked someone out of the audience who who really didn't eat very much. Like they were like, look, I just, you know, I, I graze, I barely eat at all. Right. And so the, the person with the massive appetite, what we gave them was... A, a, an amount of apples uh-huh. okay and the amount of apples was calorie equivalent to what we gave the other person which was a 175 gram packet of potato chips okay, okay? so this potato chips equated to 18 apples all right okay? and so he said to them right here you go eating contest away you go and so of course what happened was the person eating the potato chips munched down the packet in you know a couple of minutes flat and were done yeah the, the guy eating the apples who was the guy with a massive appetite got about got through about an apple and a half right so, you know, not even 10% of his way through those calories. And he stopped. He's like, look, I'm full. Like, I can't keep going here. I'm, oh, that's I'm really interesting. Done, yeah. you know? 
And so what it shows you is that actually your body has intelligence. You know, Damien talks about this a bit on the Wellness Guys and he talks about intelligent food and how when you eat real food, there's intelligence in it and your body knows when to start, when to stop, how much to eat. And once again, it comes back to this idea that our body doesn't actually need any help. It just needs no interference. Mm. You know, if you just give your body the stuff that it's designed for, give your body what it's designed to eat, then it'll eat as much as it needs and when it's done, it'll tell you it's done and you stop. And so, you know, obviously for some people, they will have you know, other reasons why they find that difficult. And so they may have some emotional reasons why they find that difficult. They may have some hormonal reasons. You know, they may have gotten themselves into a state where they're hormonally, their body isn't functioning as well as it could be anymore. So they may need to take a slightly different approach to that. But, you know, even for those people, a lot of the time when they're doing the paleo diet, you find that your body just kind of finds the right balance. I mean, one of the things I've noticed since going paleo is nowadays I tend to eat two meals a day rather than three because mm. uh, I'm just not hungry. Like I, I never consciously made the change. I never consciously made the decision to say, do you know what, I'm going to swap to two meals instead of three. I just kind of stopped doing it because I found I wasn't hungry. And, and you know, even some days I'd get to dinner and be like, gee, I'm a bit hungry. And then I'd think about it and think, well, oh, actually, I haven't eaten today. <laughs> you know, Because uh, yeah. my body just wasn't hungry. I'd actually, you know, and this tends to happen, particularly when you're having that fat in your diet, which is very satiating. Uh, it really fills you up and you don't have that same hunger and cravings. And, and I guess that's one of the other things to understand is the difference between hunger and cravings. Because a lot of the time when people think they're hungry, they're actually craving. And, and so because of you know, their, their addictions to sugar, to coffee, to wheat, to all these different things, they're craving those things. They're not actually hungry at all. Their body doesn't need the food or the nutrients. They're just craving it because they haven't had it for a while. And mm. so once you get yourself away from and sort of wean yourself off of those things, you find it a lot easier just to eat what your body needs and, and stop when you're done. Yeah, I think people dealing with weight loss issues who do go on the paleo diet and still struggle, they probably have this issue as well. There's probably something going on with uh, lectin in their brain, which is the hormone that regulates hunger. And yeah. I, I, in, in my experience as well, my personal experience, it's been that if you're coming out of a bad diet and you're you know, typically overweight, then you possibly have a combination of emotional and hormonal reasons that your default is actually set to overeat. So yep. as you start cleaning your body, eventually you'll start dropping down. But it's amazing how, like, I'm just laughing myself in advance at how this is going to challenge people's thinking who are so fixed on the idea that you need to have at least three meals a day um, or yeah. you're coming from the camp of, you know, you need to have six meals a day. And yeah. I, I used to be in that camp as well um, when I was doing more bodybuilding style training. Yeah. And you know, now when I tell people, and again, this is something that I don't tell people very openly, but in this context I can, is that, you know, I practice something called intermittent fasting, which basically means mm. that, yeah, I'll typically only have two meals a day. And, and you know, I, I don't have what people typically call breakfast. And I've had arguments with people, especially sort of older relatives and mm. you know, uncles and aunts who will just say, no, you're killing yourself. How can you not mm. have breakfast? You know, sit down. I'm going to give you breakfast. I'm going to make. I'm going to make you some cornflakes, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's just crazy. Well, and this is the challenge when you start looking at these studies that suggest that breakfast is so important and why we need breakfast. And what you realise is that well, if you are eating a high carbohydrate, a high sugar diet, you know, uh, I think it's Nora Gagaldis talks about this a lot. And she says, you know, if you think of fueling your body, she says sugars and carbohydrates they'd be like fueling your body with kindling. You know, yeah. protein would be kind of like fueling your body with with sticks. Right? And fats is like fueling, fueling your body with a big fat log. Right? Right. And so if you're fueling your body with kindling, then of course you're going to need to keep refueling it you know, all the time because it's, it, sure, it burns bright, but it burns out quick. 
Okay. Inter- interesting. And so you have to yeah. keep refueling it all the time. So it makes sense then you might think you need six meals a day and you might think that you absolutely can't survive without breakfast. But all of a sudden you chuck the big fat log on the fire and you're like, actually, do you know what? I'm pretty full. Like I'm pretty good here. I've got mm-hmm. this longer lasting energy um, without the peaks and troughs that you can get from the, you know, the sugar crashes and spikes, which you know, speak to any office worker at you know ten o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the afternoon. They exact know exactly what you mean by the sugar peaks and spot and troughs. Um, you know, once you get rid of those peaks and troughs and actually just start you know getting a more consistent level of energy from those fats and proteins, then you you have a completely different take on what's required. And I think if they redid some of those studies, they'd get completely different results as well. Yeah, that's right. There, there are a couple of people that I'm thinking of who might listen to the show or I'm going to especially make them listen to the show. <laughs> and they're not people who have any interest in wellness specifically or in mm. nutrition or health, but they're people who are you know very influential in business or, or very uh, high levels in executives. And they're dear friends of mine and I care about them. And nice. I want them to be able to see that everything that you're talking about, it's just such an obvious connection to how this can optimize your performance in all areas Absolutely. of your life. Absolutely. Well, you know, if they're looking for people to come in and talk to their business about how to optimize their performance, you know, just let me know. Happy to come in and do some stuff. I'm, I'm doing a lot more speaking around the traps now, so I'd be more than happy to jump in. I think that's a great idea. I think I might actually take you up on that, Brett. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I think, I think we're onto something there. Yeah. Mate, I could be speaking with you for hours, I can clearly tell. We're on the, <laughs> we're on the same wavelength with a lot of things, and it's not, uh, it's not common for me to find someone I can have conversations with about this so openly and cool. I really really want to thank you for you know coming on the show and uh, being able to share this with my audience who I really hope will now get turned on to your show as well and you know dive deeper and learn more about all of this stuff my, my pleasure mate I can't believe we just spoke for so long like, we did I know. a 30 minute episode and there's three of us like <laughs> I know it's it's amazing actually before b- before we uh, before we started recording you actually said you know um, you're used to doing much shorter shows and you might run out of things to say <laughs> I kind of had a smoke on my face at that time I was like yeah we'll see about that <laughs> So I'm sure now you can appreciate it. it's oh it's just crazy. I mean I can yeah like I said we can keep talking for ages. We, we, we will I think it is probably a good time to wrap up. Um before before we do wrap up there's one question that I ask all my guests which is what are your top 3 tips for anyone listening who wants to optimize their business leadership in life and it doesn't have to be nutrition related it could just be from all of your accumulative experience in your life. Yeah, all right. So well, once again, the first thing I would say is is just strive. You know, the Japanese talk about something called kaizen, and I love that term. And mm-hmm. what it means is small steps of continual and never-ending improvement. And I just love that concept. It's really what the whole book, you know, how to eat an elephant's based around is. Is just chunk it down and take small steps, but but you're continually looking to improve. So I think that's probably the key thing: is continue looking for areas where you can improve and get better. Just just don't settle. Don't be happy with you know where you're at. The second thing I would say to them is look to your health because your health is really the driver behind everything else you do. If you don't have your health, you know, well, at the end of the game, if you don't have your health, you're not going to do anything at all. But if you don't have your health, you're not going to be as energetic, you're not going to be as productive, you're not going to be as clear thinking, you're not going to be as creative as you would be when you're outrageously healthy. So, so make sure you're looking to your health. The third thing, uh, the third thing I would say is is look to your, look at your peer group. You know, look at who's around you. Look at what you're reading. Look at what you're listening to. You know, start listening to the wellness guys. <laughs> but surround yourself with great people and great information that's going to inspire you to realize that what's common in our society isn't what's normal. That you can actually strive for something better, and, and so that you push yourself to go to that next level. Awesome. That's amazing. I I really appreciate it, Brett. Um, where can people find out more about you? 
lots of places. Obviously, the uh, the podcasts are all on the Wellness Couch, so that's mm-hmm. thewellnesscouch.com. Um, there's a website for my book, which is howtoeatanelephant.com, so you can go there and check that out. Uh, if you want to see some more of my articles and stuff I've written or figure out how to book me as a speaker or you know organize me for an event or something like that, you go to my website, which is drbretthill.com. Uh, and if you need to get in touch with me, you can do that through that website. Okay, cool. And do you have any events coming up that people can tune into? Yeah, lots of events coming up. I'm traveling all over the place at the minute, but, but probably the two big ones we've got going on at the moment. I'm doing some barefoot exercise, barefoot running workshops with Kim Morrison, who's fantastic from the one of our other podcast shows. Um, so that's a whole other topic we could talk about another time is barefoot yeah. running and why that's so good. But we're doing that. And probably the big one we've got coming up, we've got the Wellness Summit coming up in August, which is sort of our keynote event for our podcast network. Uh, that'll be in Melbourne on, I think, the 16th and 17th of August. It's already about a third sold, which is awesome because it's a big venue there at the Crown and uh, it's going to be huge. So check that one out. Okay, super exciting. Brett, thank you once again. Um, I've already made a list of all these topics that I got to have you back <laughs> on the show to discuss uh, <laughs> no, no, more specifically. But uh, yeah, look, thanks, mate. Really appreciate it and hope to have you back on soon. Pleasure. Thanks for having me, buddy. If you enjoyed this episode of the Life Optimized Show, remember to visit thelifeoptimizedshow.com. Leave a rating and review on iTunes and help spread the word with all your friends and networks. 